There are all kinds of challenges that come up in business, whether you're launching a new startup, building a new product, maybe creating a marketing campaign, whatever it is that you're trying to achieve, there are decisions to be made and very often problems that need to be solved. Now, mental models are tools that we can use to solve common challenges that we face, both in business and in life. They're effectively frameworks and concepts that we can use based on the experience of people that came before us, and we can turn them around and apply them to situations that we're facing today to tackle some of these common issues much more effectively. So since I've recently read a number of books relating to mental models, I thought it might be fun to go through some of my favorite mental models for business. Now, I'm only gonna be covering five models in this particular video, but depending on your level of interest, we might turn this video into an extended series where we continue to tackle more and more, a growing library of sorts of powerful mental models that relate to business. So if that's something that you're interested in, if you'd like to see this video turn into a series, click the like button down below and consider posting a comment to let me know what it is that you would like to learn most about when it comes to mental models. But with that said, let's dive straight into model number one opportunity cost. Every time we choose to pursue a new venture or a new opportunity or a new relationship or anything like that, we are effectively paying what is called opportunity cost. And that cost is the benefit that we could have achieved or could have received had we pursued a different opportunity, had we said no to that possibility and pursued something else instead. Another way to think about this is every single time we say yes to one thing, we are automatically saying no to some other possibility. Now, the challenge here and why this concept is so important to understand is that we often don't see the connection between these two things. We say yes to what seems like an interesting possibility, but Oftentimes, we aren't very intentional about recognizing what it is that we're saying no to. And this can, in some cases, lead people, for example, to become workaholics because they just say yes to what seems like fantastic opportunity after fantastic opportunity, only to eventually find themselves in a position where they have no time for family, no time for friends, and no time for other leisure activities. They just say yes to things and they don't fully appreciate the implications of committing to so many different things. And in other areas, what this can end up causing is somebody to commit to too many things and just do a mediocre job of those many things. They don't really excel in any one area. So it's very important to recognize this concept of opportunity cost and the implications in life, where if we're going to say yes to something else, we must be prepared to say no to some other possibility. In effect, we need to be highly selective. And typically what happens is early in an entrepreneur's career or early in a business, we, we say yes to many possibilities because almost anything is better than doing nothing. But as you kind of progress forward, as you are looking to take on bigger and better opportunities, there's this growing need to be highly selective and to pursue only the very best possibilities. And what this ends up requiring is that we say no to many different possibilities. So by understanding this idea of opportunity cost, by developing this mental model and understanding this concept, we can learn to be much more selective and see the real true cost of saying yes to something and decide whether or not that is worth the opportunity cost that we must ultimately pay. Next up, we have confirmation bias. 
This is a big one, and not just for entrepreneurs, but really for anybody that wants to think more clearly and more objectively and have a better understanding of how it is that we gather information and understand various things in life. The idea behind confirmation bias is that we tend to believe that we are objective seekers of truth. When we do research, for example, on a startup idea or a product idea, or perhaps we're putting together a marketing campaign, when we start to conduct research, we tend to seek out information that isn't necessarily objective. We think it is, but what we're really doing is seeking to confirm our pre-existing beliefs. Now, this plays out in all kinds of areas of life, whether it's politics, whether it's belief systems, whatever it might be. We think what we're doing is seeking objective information, but in reality, we all, and this is easier to see in other people, but we all have this tendency to seek to confirm our existing beliefs. So in practice, when it comes to business, again, if you're putting together a startup idea and you're starting to look out into the world and see, is this a good idea? Our tendency is to look for reasons to believe that yes, it is a good idea to confirm our initial intuitions around whether or not it has potential. But what we need to do when we understand the concept of confirmation bias is we need to be proactive about pushing back against this tendency. We might be excited about our idea, but we have to go out of our way to seek alternative perspectives and to gather outside feedback to make sure that we're actually getting an objective perspective on what it is that we're trying to pursue. Now, this is very important for two reasons. Number one, it can help us avoid bad initiatives altogether. We might gather more objective information and realize, oh, that's why you know that startup hasn't been built by somebody else, or that's why somebody had tried that and it ultimately failed. We can get a more complete picture about the real genuine challenges and potential for failure. But also, if, for example, we discover it is a promising opportunity, well, in the process, we might still discover very real challenges and setbacks that we're going to have to overcome. So in other words, by seeking to be more objective, by seeking to gather real data about the potential for our idea, even if we end up choosing to pursue it, we can do so with a better and deeper understanding of what it is that we're going to have to overcome and the various issues that we're going to have to deal with. Next up, we have pre-mortem. Now, in all likelihood, you have heard of the term post-mortem, which is synonymous with conducting an autopsy. And in business, we use this phrase to describe the process of looking back on a failed project or a failed initiative to understand what went wrong, how can we avoid that failure in the future, what can we learn from the situation, and that sort of thing. It's about looking back on something that didn't work out as expected and looking for opportunities to learn from the experience so that we don't necessarily have to go through that same failure again in the future. So that is post-mortem. Pre-mortem is different. It's the same basic premise, but we try to conduct this exercise before we initiate the project or startup or initiative. The idea is to conduct the same kind of thinking, but without necessarily going through the painful process of experiencing it. So for example, let's say you're building a new product or you're planning to build a new product. Well, to conduct a pre-mortem, what you might do is sit down with your team and start to analyze if this project was to fail, if we were gonna launch this into the market in six to 12 months from now, and it turned out it completely bombed, it totally failed. Well, if that happened, 
What are the likely causes of that failure? This is a very powerful exercise for trying to anticipate challenges much more effectively. It's a really powerful way, actually, to address the issues around opportunity cost and committing to things too early and confirmation bias. Because when we conduct a pre-mortem, we open up greater possibilities for discovering issues even before they happen. And part of this really comes down to framing things correctly because when you sit down with other people and you're seeking outsider perspectives, well, as talked about in a book like The Mom Test by Rob Fitzpatrick, People tend to try to be supportive. They try to be socially polite. They want to encourage you. But the problem here is you're trying to get genuine feedback about how your idea might go wrong. So by framing this as a pre-mortem and making it clear that you're trying to imagine if your startup or if your product failed, how would that happen? Well, you set people up to be more honest and more objective. They appreciate the fact that you're genuinely trying to understand what might go wrong. So by framing this as a pre-mortem of an analysis of what might be eventual failure, you really incentivize them to be brutally honest. In effect, you're setting up a mystery. You're setting them up as the person trying to solve a difficult problem where you're saying, I think this might fail, can you identify what the eventual cause might be? And under that particular scenario, they're much more likely to be honest and to provide you with an objective perspective that may turn out to be very informative in helping you avoid future challenges or future issues. Next up, we have Minimum Viable Product or MVP. In all likelihood, you are very familiar with the term minimum viable product, but this is a concept that is very often misunderstood. A lot of entrepreneurs out there believe that the entire purpose of building an MVP is simply to get to market faster, to create a simplified version of their product, just a bare bones version to get it to market, and then from there, they can start to iterate and add additional features over time. But this is not at all the intent of building an MVP. The real goal here is to get very clear on the underlying assumptions behind your product or service idea and then to build the most simplified version of your product for the very clear purpose of testing those underlying assumptions. In other words, you want to understand what might cause your idea to ultimately fail. What are the assumptions that you're kind of building into the idea right from the beginning? You want to get very clear on what must be true in order for your product to be successful. And then you create a simplified version of your product for the specific purpose of validating those underlying assumptions. Now, in practice, one very common strategy when it comes to building an MVP is to launch something like a Kickstarter campaign or a simple marketing website where instead of building the product at all, you simply explain the idea to your potential customers so that you can gauge their overall interest. So, in this scenario, your greatest assumption is that customers actually value the idea that you're hoping to bring to market. So, Instead of wasting your time building the complete product only, for example, to find out that customers aren't interested, the MVP strategy here might entail simply building out, like I said, a Kickstarter campaign or a marketing website so that you can confirm that, yes, people are genuinely interested in what it is that you plan to build. And then once you've confirmed that fact, you can develop a more sophisticated product. But the goal here, again, is to just determine what are the biggest assumptions 
behind what it is that you're trying to build. Maybe you do need to build a prototype. Maybe you do need to get something into the hands of customers to see how they interact with it. But the premise here is to identify the most critical assumptions that need to be true in order for your product to be successful and then to find the fastest, most efficient way to test those assumptions. And if you're interested in learning more about this, I recommend that you read The Lean Startup by Eric Reese and Sprint by Jake Knapp. Last but not least, we have sunk cost fallacy. This is another mental model with implications that go well beyond business, but it's especially useful when it comes to business because sunk cost fallacy is all about our tendency to feel more and more committed to something as we invest more time, energy, and resources into it. As we feel we have kind of sunk costs into a project, it can make it very difficult to recognize when perhaps the project is a clear failure and it's not meeting our expectations and perhaps it's unlikely to in the future. This is perhaps the number one reason why startup founders and product teams and others kind of overly commit to an idea. They become invested in it. They put more time and energy into it. And even when it becomes crystal clear that it's not going to meet expectations or it might not even come to market successfully, teams can just continue working away, trying to make the original idea work. And it all comes back to this sunk cost fallacy. The more we feel like we have sunk effort and time into something, the harder it can be to be truly objective and to recognize when something is not meeting our expectations and when it's time to commit our time and energy in another direction. Now, a very powerful way to fight back against this tendency is to simply ask the question, knowing what you now know, would you choose to start this again? This question can allow us to gain mental clarity and to really appreciate the outsider's perspective. It allows us to kind of return to the beginning of the decision, but considering everything that we've learned to date. So whether we're starting a new business, building a new product, starting a marketing campaign, maybe hiring an employee, we can look at these decisions and think, okay, knowing what I now know, would I have still hired that person? Would I have still created that product? Would I have still started that marketing campaign? And this can allow us to be far more objective because if deep down we know the answer is no, then we need to find some way to divert our time and energy and the resources and energy of our team in another much more productive direction. So simply understanding sunk cost fallacy can allow us to stand back truly assess where we have found ourselves and make what might be a really critical decision to make a better use of our time and energy. Anyway, those are five mental models that apply directly to business. Of course, as I mentioned earlier, there are many, many more models that we could cover in future videos. So if you're interested in me turning this video into a recurring series, click the like button down below and consider posting a comment to let me know what it is that you would like to see covered in future mental model videos.